You're listening to Multiply, a church planting podcast. Hi everyone, this is Debbie from the Multiply team and we just wanted to share with you that the Multiply conference is back. We'll be meeting again on Saturday the 5th of February 2022 online. The conference is free and tickets are available now. So just visit the web address in the show notes to find out more about what you can expect from this year's conference and how to book your ticket. In the meantime, enjoy this talk that was recorded at our last Multiply conference. Well, it is my uh, pleasure now to introduce our speaker, our keynote speaker this morning. Uh, when we when we first talked about the theme of multiply this year, we we wanted to uh, have uh, something that had some breadth and accessibility to to many, if not all. Uh, and we really felt that the theme of breaking new ground was was something that would really help us because all of our settings are different and. Uh, and you'll notice in the seminars, they're, they're expressing the different ways that, that we break new ground and the different contexts that we break new ground. But as, as, as regarding our keynote speaker, we wanted someone that had firsthand experience of this and had an understanding of, of what this looks like in practice uh, themselves, but also in their coaching and their oversight of others, uh, not just in the UK, but uh, in many parts of the world as well. And so we are thrilled that Andy McCulloch is here and with us today. Andy, can I say welcome to you? Uh, thank you so much for giving up your, your Saturday morning. I'm not sure what you were going to be doing Saturday morning. Uh, there's not a lot we can do at the moment, is there? Uh, but I do appreciate you giving time. If you don't know Andy, Andy's based in Reading in the UK. He spends half of his time serving uh, Reading Family Church uh, the other half is actually overseeing uh, the work that, uh, uh, as part of Catalyst, which is part of New Frontiers in the Middle East. Andy is a brilliant preacher, a real scholar of the word, but he's also has a great understanding of culture and mission. He's written a brilliant book recently called Global Humility: Attitudes for Mission. It's a it's a great read for everyone who's involved in mission. Uh, but in many respects, that's all of us, isn't it? Uh, very challenging, but very, very helpful. Also, just to make mention, he, he's pioneered the Margins to Mike project, which is about getting uh, those that often uh, don't have a platform to be heard, but have much to teach all of us. And that's available on YouTube and other places. Uh, so, uh, Andy, uh, uh, I welcome you. Thank you so much for giving your time. Uh, we're now going to uh, leave it to you to lead, and then I think we're going to be breaking out into smaller rooms at some point as well. So, Andy, may I just pray for you as you bring God's word to us, and uh, and then we're, and then it's over to you. Lord God, we thank you for Andy McCulloch. We thank you for his love of you. We thank you for his story with you. We thank you that he's a man that not um, not only brings your truth in a way that's so accessible and helpful, but Lord, he lives this. He's involved in this. He, he is a man who is, has broken new ground and is breaking new ground. Uh, so we bless you for him. And Lord, we pray we'd be open to you speaking to us through Andy and through your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Andy, over to you. Amen. Thank you, Martin. And um, hey, everyone. Uh, good morning or good afternoon or good evening, depending 
uh, where on our beautiful planet you are. Uh, I'm going to start just by uh, letting you know about three kind of resources that are available, and then I'm going to bring three words of knowledge, and then we're going to get into the Bible. So um, I'm just sharing my screen. Uh, we've just launched a new website uh, resource um, for the Unreached Network called unreached.network. And on there, you'll find particularly resources to help you if you're thinking about church planting uh, cross-culturally or amongst the unreached. And so there's blog content, video content, uh, teaching, training stuff, and opportunities to connect. So just let you know that's gone live in the last couple of weeks, uh, unreached.network. Secondly, uh, this is a little project. Um, Martin mentioned the margins to Mike uh, thing. Joy to the World is um, it's like a Christmas uh, thing from around the world where we've got different people from 24 different countries uh, bringing little bits of teaching and insight into the Christmas story. So you'll see uh, next week on uh, the Unreached social media uh, stuff go out about how to subscribe to this. Um, but what's exciting about that, I think, is just, again, it's voices from all over the world. Christmas brings joy to the whole world. And that's a nice little um, project just to help us in this year of feeling a little bit culturally claustrophobic just to help us connect with people from other places. Uh, so that's the, the little Christmas series, Joy to the World. And then thirdly, uh, this book, As Many as the Stars, uh, from our dear friends, Rob and Liz Glover, who went to China with their six children into a country with a one-child policy uh, and were there for over 20 years and have had an incredible impact. And their, their book is just out. Um, and it's basically Rob's story of moving from a little village in Norfolk out to Shanghai and God using them there. And so in terms of breaking new ground, that is a wonderful uh, example. And it's a really well-written book and a real thrill. So just three resources. Now I'm going to bring three uh, words of knowledge. We're all still figuring out how to do this uh, on screens rather than in the room. Uh, but firstly, there's someone on this call today. Uh, your name starts with A and you have pain in your right leg. So uh, you've got a problem in your right leg. Your name starts with A. Later, when we go uh, into groups, say to people, oh, that was me. And so people can pray for you, please. That'd be brilliant. Secondly, uh, there's someone here. You're going to go to seminar two. So you've got a little number two at the front of your thing. You're going to go to seminar two. And you've been having um, stomach problems. Uh, I think stress-related IBS type stomach problems. And we would love to pray for you. So again, when we go to groups after this talk, please just say, hey, that was me. And people can uh, pray for you. Maybe we can just follow up on that in seminar two. And then thirdly, there's someone sitting here today and you are sitting in an office. So you're not sitting in your lounge. You're sitting in an office. And I just felt that you have had um, you're facing significant financial challenges, significant financial difficulty. And I feel that the Lord would uh, just come to you in that moment. And we'd love to stand around you and pray. And I believe that God is going to bring a kind of an amazing deliverance story. And this, this is like a turning point for you. I feel God wanted to say that to you today. So if that's you sitting in an office, not in a lounge, and you're facing significant financial difficulty, then God is going to bring breakthrough to you today. So just uh, three things. If any of those resonate with you, be open to the Holy Spirit because God is speaking to you today. But also... Um, when we get into groups later, do put your hand up and say, please pray for me. Uh, that was that was talking to me. OK, um, when I was 20 uh, and I had a dream in my heart to uh, that I believe was from God to see churches planted or be involved in church planting. 
from Istanbul all the way through Central Asia as far as Delhi. And I was feeling God speaking to me about 25 cities. Um, a, a, a leader who I really respect said to me, yeah, but you're not a church planter. Those were his words. You're not a church planter. You're not. And I think what he meant was you're not the right type of personality. You're not the right mix of gifts. A church planter looks like this and you don't look like that. So you're not a church planter. And um, I don't know what he had in his mind. Um, you know, it might have been the kind of the Mark Driscoll type, uh, quite task focused, quite intentional, uh, quite hardcore, a little bit abrasive. I don't know. And I'm not that. I'm none of those things. I'm quite a softy, really. Um, and so I think he was just looking at me and thinking, you're not a pioneer and you're not someone that's going to break new ground. And uh, I, I think a lot of us have sometimes been boxed by teaching on leadership that has said, oh, this is what a leader looks like, or this is what the gift of leadership looks like, or this is what a pioneer looks like. And you think, well, I don't look like that, so I, I'll have to find something else to do that's not pioneering. And I just, what I want to focus on today is really go, actually, that's not a New Testament thing. And we're going to look at a New Testament character who wouldn't really fit in the box of pioneer leadership. And that, that leader probably would have said to him, you're not a church planter, mate. Um, but we're going to look today at this character in the New Testament who actually had an incredible impact in breaking new ground. And we're going to bring some things today out of his story. And this character is Barnabas. And Barnabas had a phenomenal legacy in people and a phenomenal legacy in places. His legacy in people involved, he's the one that kind of spots the, the talent in Paul and brings him through, the great apostle to the Gentiles who wrote most of the New Testament. Uh, he's the one who uh, stays loyal to Mark when Mark uh, you know, potentially was going to be alienated and brings him through. So actually, if you just take Paul and Mark, most of the New Testament is down to Barnabas's encouragement and releasing of these guys gifting but also Mark uh, Barnabas had an incredible legacy in places because uh, if you take Antioch Antioch is the great example of an unreached city so in in the time of the New Testament it was the third largest city in their empire but it, Juvenal called it the sewer of the empire it was the kind of the dark dirty, evil, unreached city. And yet through Barnabas being involved as well as others, um, within 300 years, Antioch had become majority Christian. So when Chrysostom is born in Antioch in the fourth century, we have records that say that the majority of people that lived there were Christian. And it became a, a kind of a center, an apostolic base for much of Christianity to flow from. And so within 300 years, it goes from unreached to like a center of Christianity. And that's part of Barnabas's legacy. So this guy, big legacy in people, big legacy in a place. And so we're going to look at a few things from his story today, and we're going to pull out 10 things, uh, God willing, 10 things from his story that will help us think about breaking new ground. And what I'm not doing is saying, this is a list of what a church planter looks like. And so if you score six out of 10, then you can plant a church. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is the New Testament works through telling people stories. And we're going to learn from Barnabas's story. He's a gift to us uh, in, the, in the inspired word of God. So let's open our hearts and go, oh, God, 
whatever my context, whatever my situation, whatever ground I'm trying to break, Lord, would you speak to me today from your word, please? And would, even if it's just one thing, would there be something from this story of Barnabas that resonates with my situation, that moves me on to the next thing, that changes things up? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So 10 things from the story of Barnabas. Is that okay? We, we know where we're going. Uh, the first is this. It's all his. Barnabas has this incredible understanding that if you're going to break new ground, that the ground belongs to Jesus and not you. And we see this the first time we meet Barnabas. So in Acts chapter 4 and verse 36, we read, Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So Barnabas is from Cyprus. Now, I was born and grew up in Cyprus. So immediately you go, good things come from Cyprus. Amen. And um, But he's an ethnic minority in Cyprus. He's not Cypriot. He's Jewish. He's a Levite. So he's a minority. And one of the things we sometimes overlook is that a lot of the spread of the gospel in the New Testament was actually by a, the Jewish ethnic minority, by an ethnic minority. And sometimes we, we look for kind of leaders or church planters from majority culture, but people from minority communities sometimes have more cross-cultural ability, more resilience, more ability to handle uh, pressure. And we need to look at minority communities for church planters. So it's just a little aside. That's not what we're doing. But what we see the first time we meet Barnabas is he's selling a field. Now, he sells the field and then he gives the money at the apostles' feet and says, use it for the kingdom of God. That is amazing. And I wonder if it's because he was from the tribe of Levi, because the other tribes had a real commitment to their land. You know, this is the inheritance of Judah. This is the inheritance of Simeon. But Levites never had their own land. And so, and so maybe he has this ability, this perspective to be more open handed. But this is going to be really important in his story, because not only a physical field, but also his kind of spiritual field, his sphere of influence, his places where he's working. Barnabas is able to be open handed and say, it's not mine. This belongs to God. And so actually, when we come to breaking new ground, the first thing we have to understand is it's all his. And the ground that we want to break belongs to him. And pioneering or church planting is never so that you can carve out a little bit of inheritance for yourself. It's always an understanding that it's God's ground and we're laborers in his vineyard. We're renters, not owners. And Barnabas understood that. The second thing, number two, from the Barnabas story is we see that he has a highly relational skill set. Barnabas is brilliant at relationships. And um, it's interesting because there is this caricature of a church planter or a pioneer leader as someone who is non-relational, who's very task-focused, who's very kind of project-focused, systems and strategy-focused. But our business as Christian breakers of new ground is not, systems and organization is people our business is people if you're joining us from africa today and it's so good to be with you this is obvious to you and you'd say why do you need to say that but actually if you're joining us from the uk you might have been taught a little bit about leadership being about 
being focused on task. You know, I have to break this new ground. But the whole point is, it's about people. Where do we see this in Barnabas? Well, a few places. Uh, we see, um, in one instance, him as an incredible peacemaker, a broker. So when Saul, who is a radical anti-Christian, comes to faith, has the Damascus Road experience, everyone else is nervous of him. They don't trust him. Oh, he's, he's, he's going to infiltrate us. He's going to bring problems to us. They, they can't trust him. But Barnabas is able to vouch for him to broker the relationship and to bring Saul into community with the apostles in Jerusalem. He's, he's able to go, look, I know this guy. I will represent him. I'll champion him. And again, he uses his influence and, and reputation to champion someone from the margins and bring them into the center and create a space for them. That's a really important skill. Uh, and in the Middle East, this is one of the key ways to recognize a leader, actually, is their ability to um, negotiate between kind of warring factions and create a peace. You see it in the story of David, where you've got a nation uh, in the book of Judges with all these tribes that are fighting each other. But then David becomes king and he's able to kind of broker a peace. And that that wisdom, that softness, that ability to bring people together is incredibly important in Christian ministry and in breaking new ground. Uh, some of the guys from Greece are on this call and we were chatting uh, a few months ago about some of the work that they're doing in refugee camps and recognizing leaders that have come to faith in refugee camps. And again, in this conversation, a lot of what we were saying is a leader in one of those places is someone that can kind of vouch for his family, provide for his community, make space for people. And I just think that's a really, really important skill, that highly relational skill set. Um, some of you might know George Zafirov from Bulgaria, who's responsible for a bunch of churches in Bulgaria as part of our family. And George seems to have millions of friends. Like, I feel like his best friend, but then I realize everybody feels like his best friend. Uh, one time uh, he gave me a, a football kit, a Bayern Munich football kit. I don't even like Bayern Munich. And But after he gave it to me, then he phoned me and he said, I want you to come to Bulgaria and preach in our churches. And because I thought I was his best friend and he'd given me a football kit, I said, yes, he's a genius, you know, that, uh, using gifts and friendship and network in order to get what he wants. And actually, New Frontiers is a big international family. And our big resource is relationships. And if you want to break new ground within part of the New Frontiers family, you're going to get to a point where you want to try and recruit a team for your church plant, or you want to try and find some money for a project that you're doing. And actually, the way to do that is knowing people and connecting. And so being relational is, is, is part of who we are. It's part of how we function. And if you don't know people, reach out to someone who does, and they can make the connections for you. And so, but also with Barnabas, we also see... He's highly relationally loyal. So the incident in Acts 15, when there's this falling out between Paul and Barnabas, they fall out over Mark because Mark had let them down. And actually, Barnabas, um, it, it, instead of doing what's expedient and going, fine, well, then I'll dump Mark and I'm going to align myself with Paul because he's the man of the moment. He's loyal to Mark. And he says, no, I'm going to defend this relationship. And some of you, I feel there's and this is a kind of prophetic moment, but I feel for some of you, there's this choice that you're having to make at the moment between something that's expedient or something that's loyal. So something that's kind of get you forward in what you want to do or something that's about 
staying with a friend, even if that friend is not the, the hottest ticket in town. And I just feel we need to choose loyalty. We need to be strong with our friends. And we see that in Barnabas. The third thing uh, in the Barnabas story that we see is about partnership. And um, Barnabas's question is, who can I partner with on this venture? Who can I pull in? He's never going to try and do stuff on his own. Um, in the UK, we have a, a TV show called Dragon's Den. And many countries actually have a similar kind of idea where an entrepreneur or an inventor comes and says, this is my thing, but I need your investment, your help, your expertise to get it to market. And they always have to compromise and go, I'm going to give up some control. I'm going to give up 40% of my company or something in order to have your involvement. And so there's a, there's a wisdom there about partnering. And um, Barnabas seems to be very good at that as well. So when the Jerusalem church hears that God is moving in Antioch, they send Barnabas there. And Barnabas doesn't turn up in Acts chapter 11 and think, aha, finally, it's my chance to lead something. I get to be the man. I'm going to preach every Sunday. Everybody has to listen to me. He doesn't do that. He turns up and he looks at it and he goes, do you know what I need? I need Saul. So we read in verse 25 of Acts 11. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul and then he brought him and together they taught the church for a year. And um, it's a really important thing. You're breaking new ground. You cannot break new ground on your own. Who can you partner with? Who can you pull in? Yeah, you might have to give up some control. Yeah, you might have to give up some of your luxury of shaping everything the way you wanted to. But actually, we're going to see the importance of this. And Antioch, this unreached city that within a few generations becomes Christianized and the center of Christianity. It's an incredible story of a city. And we long to see that in our towns and in our cities and the unreached nations of the world. Many of the key apostolic guys in the New Testament are involved in Antioch. So Barnabas is involved, Paul is involved, Peter's involved, men from James turn up in Antioch, Silas is there, Agapus is there, many of the apostolic and prophetic guys in the New Testament, many of the names. So partly that says, if you're apostolic, you should be involved in reaching the unreached. But partly it says, it's not one guy's project. This, there's, there's this partnership, there's this ownership together. They're pulling in different ministries and gifts and saying, we're going to smash this thing open together in the name of Jesus. Barnabas is also very good at creating these connections between churches. So when he goes to Antioch, he says, what do we need here? We need some prophetic input. I know these guys back in the church in Jerusalem, Agapus and his guys. I'm going to bring them up. He's relationally connected. He pulls in gifts. And for some of you, that's the next thing you need to do. Where you've got to in pioneering, where you've got to in your breaking of new ground, you've got as far as you can get on your own. And now you need to go, OK, who do I bring in? And it's not just someone that's going to kind of be on your team, but it's a senior ministry that can partner with you. And for some of you, that is the next thing you need to do to move on to the next level with what you're doing. And um, for me, I feel God's been speaking to me about uh, particularly about this partnership. Many of the church parts we're involved in. Uh, have a partnership element, have kind of a couple of different New Frontier spheres involved. Um, and we're learning as we go. But actually, I recently had a, a mission agency reach out to me and say, can we 
partner together to church plant into a particular unreached people group. And that's really exciting. And we've got a city in Central Asia that we're trying to plant in. And actually, we've uh, connected with one of the Russian apostolic spheres to go, could we send some English people, some Turkish people, and some Russian people together into this unreached city? That's cool. And that's that's what I'm talking about, is this sense of, come on, let's partner together. And it's not going to be my project or your project, but it's going to be something that we do together for the glory of God. So you put together these first three things from the Barnabas story, the kingdom first attitude, that the ground belongs to God. Secondly, the relational connectivity and the high relational skill set and the value on that. And then thirdly, their appetite for partnership. You put those three things together and you've got a potent combination for the breaking of new ground. Amen. Number four. I like this one. I like all of them because that's why I'm saying them. But I like this one. Number four. He was a good man. Okay, I feel like he was from Cyprus and you have to say that in a Cyprus accent. He was a good man. It just it feels so warm and so nice. Acts chapter 11 and verse 24. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Someone just put in the chat. Ha ha. <laughs> I guess you're on mute. You can't laugh. So you've got a ha ha in the chat. Now, Maybe you wouldn't expect goodness to come up in a talk about breaking new ground. But good is a big word in the Bible. It's a word about God. God is good. It's a word about creation. God made the world and then he looked at it and he went, that's good. So don't underestimate the power of goodness. And goodness, interestingly, is something that is recognizable cross-culturally. So go to another country where you don't speak the language and you don't understand the people, but you can figure out who's good. And so in terms of this ability to discern goodness cross-culturally, it's actually a really important part of the Christian witness. When we go to new places, new countries, new cultures, if we send good people, people will see that. They can read that. There's a wonderful story of a missionary who went to a tribe in China in the 19th century. And he he just turned up in this village. He didn't speak the language. Uh, and he's sitting around the campfire talking to these dear people uh, in sign language, essentially. And then he just has this moment of thinking, man, they're all going to hell. They don't know Jesus and I can't talk to them. And he starts weeping. And as he starts weeping, the Holy Spirit falls on this tribe. And they all start weeping as well. And then people start moving towards each other and making up with old enemies, uh, throwing away some of their idols. And there was just something about this guy's sincerity and heart and love that actually precipitated repentance in this community. And so goodness is an incredible cross-cultural tool for modeling, demonstrating the gospel of Jesus Christ. And um, people from uh, the global south, uh, people from high context cultures, as we would call them, uh, often have very high character discernment, very high emotional intelligence, and, and, and can discern goodness in you. And if, if you're just on task or just trying to get things done to tick them off on the list, they can read that. And so actually, goodness is an incredibly powerful attribute. 
And some of you, maybe you're nothing else on this list, but you're good. And that's actually something that God's given you as real power in your armory. Okay, number five, he confronted his prejudices. So uh, Barnabas going to Antioch, to this Gentile city, has to begin to connect with Gentile guys, eat food with them, hang out with them, eat bacon for the first time in his life. And um, in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 12, uh, we read, Before certain men came from James, Peter was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. But we read that Barnabas was also in this mix, eating with the Gentiles. So having grown up his whole life with his mum saying to him, never eat with Gentiles, naughty boy, now he finds himself eating with Gentiles. And so he's had to do some interior work to overcome some prejudices to get to this point where he can sit at a table with people that he never normally would have, that his mum warned him against, that his culture and his tradition, his community told him to keep at arm's length. And this is the point. You can't break new ground externally unless you're breaking new ground internally in your heart. There's been too much history of mission being coupled with prejudice and a sense of superiority and I'm from the good Christian land and I'm going to dump my values on you and that's not okay and when it's eating with the Gentiles is mission with not mission to it's not turning up and being the savior it's saying let's sit down and eat together and I've had to do work in my heart on my prejudice to get to this point you can't break new ground externally unless you're breaking new ground internally amen Number six, full of the Holy Spirit. Love it. I want to say this is my favorite, but they're all my favorite. But um, what we read about Barnabas is he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And like goodness, fullness of the Holy Spirit is often visible cross-culturally. You can see the fullness of the Holy Spirit in somebody's eyes in somebody's attitude, in somebody's character. When I was a brand new Christian, I, I got saved at 17. The first thing I did was I went to India for six months. Uh, I just wanted to go and kind of put my faith into action. And um, a, a lot of times in that six months in India, I, I got saved in a context where they didn't talk about the Holy Spirit. So I'd not encountered the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I was a brand new Christian. And I was in India with dear friends who were full of the Holy Spirit. And I'm sitting there thinking, no one's ever taught me this, but I look at you and there's something in your life and I want it. And I remember staying up all night over and over again, fasting and praying, God, I want to be full of the Holy Spirit like these people. And um, we had a lady on one of our teams in Turkey and she's sitting on a bus one day. And a Muslim lady gets up from the other side of the bus and comes and sits next to her and says, excuse me, do you speak Turkish? The lady says, yes, I speak Turkish. She said, I just had to come and ask you, why is your face shining so much? What is going on with you? And my friend was able to say, well, it's the fullness of the Holy Spirit. It's the love of God. And from that encounter on a bus where a Muslim woman sat there, looked at her and thought, her face is shining. They became friends. This Muslim woman came to faith and is part of the church community now just because she could see the fullness of the spirit. 
So for it to say Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, it's saying he was so full of the Holy Spirit that that is a thing that we remember about him. And 2000 years later, that's something that we know about him. So fullness of the Spirit is not just a tick box on your church membership form. Are you baptized in water? Tick. Are you baptized in the Spirit? Tick. You can be a member. We're talking about something that is bursting out of you. And that's part of breaking new ground. You can't break new ground, friends without the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. I can't hear you saying amen, but I believe that you're saying amen in your hearts. Number seven. Number seven. Encouragement. Three times in the Barnabas story, we see this guy associated with encouragement. So it's something that he did consistently through his whole life and ministry. Firstly, in Acts chapter four, his actual name is Joseph, which is a really normal name, whereas Barnab they name him Barnabas. Now, Barnabi in Aramaic actually means son of the prophets. Nabi is the prophets. Uh, but in our English translation, we've got son of encouragement because what prophets do is they encourage. What prophetic ministry is, is it's an encouraging ministry. And if you're prophetic, then you, you're an encourager. So he's a son of the prophets because he's an encourager. Then in, in chapter 11 and verse 23, we see it again. When he came and he saw the grace of God, he was glad and he encouraged them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. And then we see it again in chapter 14. After Barnabas and Saul have been through Galatia planting churches, they then come back through visiting all those churches again and appointing elders, local elders in each place. And we read in 14 and 22, they did this, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. And so what we see is this. The goal of mission is indigenization, planting churches where you have local elders from the local community. We went to Turkey, plant a Turkish church in Turkish language with Turkish elders. That's the point. That's the project. That's what we're there to do. How do you do that? Encouragement. You see the grace of God on people and then you encourage them to fly in what God's called them to do. They're going to be different to you because it's a different culture, different context, but you encourage and you breathe life into them. And I would say that in my story, um, some of the biggest impact on my life has just been people encouraging me. Many of you would know Andrew Wilson. We love him for his teaching gift, but actually it, warmer than his teaching gift is his encouragement. You hang around, Andrew, you feel like you're doing really well. And you wouldn't have to because he's so clever and so good at things that you could feel useless. You, you could hang around, Andrew, and think, well, you're really good at stuff. And so we'll let you do it. And I'm not going to mess with stuff. But actually, his gift of encouragement lifts you up and makes you think, man, I can do this, too. And that's really important because in breaking new ground, it's not about you being amazing at stuff. Because if you're the best at everything, if you're the best preacher and the best vision caster and the best organizer and the best team leader and the best uh, at raising your kids and the best at everything, then that's not going to encourage people. They're just going to think, man, you're good at everything and I'm not. And so there's something about the gift of encouragement that, that lifts people up, that creates space, that makes them feel confident to run in who they are in God. And Barnabas was a son of encouragement. 
Number eight, we are doing well. We're nearly there, guys. Number eight, eyes to see. So when Barnabas came to Antioch, verse 23 of 11, he saw the grace of God and he was glad. I think this eyes to see, the ability to see what God is doing cross-culturally is one of the most important gifts that we can have. And, you know, when I talk about cross-culturally, it doesn't have to be going to another country. If you're moving from Luton to Leighton Buzzard up the road, it's going to be a different space. You can't do stuff the way you did it in Luton. You've still got to have eyes to see. Barnabas, in his championing of Saul, he did this. No one else uh, could see the potential in Saul. They were just scared of him. But Barnabas was like, I see something in this guy and I'm going to bring him through. But also in going to Antioch, it's different culture, different city, different language, different vibe. And yet he's able to see the grace of God. Now, I don't think that was walking into a meeting and just seeing uh, kind of the life of the spirit on stuff. I think that was seeing the grace of God in people's businesses, in their families, in their homes, in their lives, in the way they treated one another, in the way they treated the poor. And so this eyes to see gift is hugely important in terms of coming into a different space and going, I can see God working here. Number nine, horses for courses. Now, horses for courses is a very English saying, so I need to explain it. And I don't know anything about horse racing, but I Googled it, okay? And apparently, different horses are good on different kinds of racetrack. So some horses are good on soft racetracks. Some horses are good on hard racetracks. Some are good on a short sprint. Some are good on a long marathon. So depending on what the racetrack is, you have to put the right horse on the right track. Now, why is that important? Because one of the most underestimated things about breaking new ground is context. Where is the new ground? Not all new ground is the same. So different kinds of ground are broken by different kinds of person. Why did the Jerusalem guys send Barnabas to Antioch? Why didn't they send someone else? Because Barnabas had the right kind of skills for that place. And he would have had family connections in that place because he's from Cyprus and Cyprus is very connected to Antioch. And the people that went there to preach the gospel were Cypriot. So he's going to have some connections. He's going to have the right skills for that place. He may not have been great in another space, but he was great in Antioch. One of the most underestimated things about breaking new ground is context. So you can't go, this is what a church planter looks like because it depends where they're going to church. I'd probably be rubbish at planting a church in London, but put me in the middle of Central Asia and I'm having a ball. So it does depend on your context, different people, from different places, horses, and courses. The reason I want to say that is because there's no such thing as a, a decontextual bag of skills called a gift of leadership. You cannot look at a person and say, that person has a gift of leadership. Okay, because what if they're a leader in a mega church in Texas and then you put them in the jungle in Peru? They don't know how to lead there. They don't speak the language. They don't know where the people want to go. They don't know how to live in the jungle. So they're a great leader in Texas, but they're not in Peru. Do you understand? And so it's really, really important to go. Leadership is contextual. Who are the right leaders for this space? And maybe that person 
was a terrible leader over there, but maybe they're going to be amazing in that context. And so horses for courses, and we see this over and over again. We've got friends working in the Caucasus region of southern Russia, planting lots of churches amongst Muslim people. And they were desperate for um, more leaders. So they went to some of the Russian churches and said, please, can you send us some leaders? And some of the Russian churches said, we can't spare any of our big city church leaders, but we've got a bunch of guys that came out of rehab recently. We'll send them to you. And this is a true story. I know the guys. So they send these bunch of guys that they thought were useless. And actually, they've ended up being incredibly fruitful planting churches in southern Russia. And so it's horses for courses. They weren't any good in that context, but they were gold in that context. And so maybe for you, maybe you're just in the wrong place. Maybe you're just doing the wrong thing and you could be phenomenally fruitful somewhere else. And then finally, number 10, the last thing about Barnabas is he disappears from the story. We'll hear about him in chapter 15 and then he's just gone. And actually part of breaking new ground is once that ground is broken, disappearing, moving on, doing something else. So rather than his goal being increasing visibility, his goal is increasing invisibility. For ages, you've got Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul in Acts 11 and 12 and 13 and 14. And then suddenly you've got Paul and Barnabas, and then you've got Paul and Barnabas. He's done his job. He's brought through Paul, and now he's not needed anymore. Hudson Taylor said that, a, a church planter is like scaffolding. And you're there to see a building grow up that is the local church. And then when you've done your job, we dismantle the scaffolding and we'll use it again somewhere else. And so that part, the kind of moving on, leaving what you've done to see it stand and beautiful, that's a, a really important part of breaking new ground and something that we need to keep thinking about. So there's 10 things. Now, what I'm gonna do just to finish, I'm just gonna share my screen and um, just put a summary slide up of those 10 things. You can quickly take a photo or a screenshot or capture it if you haven't taken any notes. And in a minute, we're gonna to go to groups. And in our groups, we're gonna chat about a few questions just arising from this talk today. So I've got four questions and they'll go in the chat as well. But what was the main thing that you took from this talk today? No, we're not saying you need to try and score eight out of 10 on these things. What we're saying is, what is God saying to you in your context? What is the one thing here that's resonated with you? Horses for courses, do you think you are in the right place and the right position? Are you in a context where you're being fruitful? Eyes to see. Do you think you're good at spotting God at work in people that are different from you? How can you develop this skill? Did you know that 60% of CEOs in Fortune 500 companies in the US are over six foot tall? So what happens is, a tall leader spots another tall guy and thinks, ah, I'm a tall leader. He's tall. He must be a leader. And so you get this kind of process of affinity bias. You look like me, so I'm going to pick you. And if we're going to multiply leadership, then we have to get past that. So do you have eyes to see what God is doing? And fourthly, highly relational. Do you agree that relational skills 
are very important for breaking new ground. Why is this often neglected when we talk about leadership? So I'm done. We're going to go to groups in a moment. Just before we do, I just wanted to bring two quick uh, prophetic words, and then I'll hand back to Martin. And the first is for Paul in Valencia. And Paul, I just saw you um, taking down scaffolding, stacking it really neatly, and then moving it somewhere else and using it again. And as you did that, the building underneath was beautiful, so much more beautiful than you could imagine. And I, I'm not going to presume on the application of that. That's for you and your team to weigh. I'm not saying you have to move on, but I think there's a dismantling scaffolding season that you're coming into and you're going to see the church emerge. Absolutely beautiful. And secondly, Nathan and Rada in Munich. I just saw a picture for you guys. Uh, really, I felt the Lord saying, in the next season, look for local. I just felt that in the next season, your priority is going to be local leaders, local products, local life. And everything you do in the next season, put these lenses on your eyes, which is looking for local. And I just feel that's the key for you in the next season. God bless you guys. I hope we have a fruitful conversation in our groups. Martin, back to you. Andy, thank you so, so much. That was outstanding. We're clapping here. I'm clapping. Uh, absolutely amazing. Okay, I, I want us not to waste any time. Let's get straight into those groups. Uh, they'll be the same groups that you started with at the beginning of the morning. Uh, questions are on the chat. Uh, you have about 15 minutes uh, or thereabouts. So please go for it. And we will see you back real soon. Thank you, Andy. Amazing. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to get in touch, then send us an email to multiply at catalystnetwork.org or follow us on social media.